Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for the match review. Newcastle beaten 5-0 by Manchester City down at the Etihad. I am Andrew Musgrove, joined by our Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes. And like many of you guys listening, I was hoping Man City would be down in the dumps having been defeated by Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-final, being so close to that final and to lose it in the manner they did. There were many definitions flying around last week about what a kind of wounded animal Manchester City would be unfortunately for Newcastle they were one with a vicious bite and Newcastle couldn't handle them I've been speaking to Aaron off air and he knows I'm a little bit raging about Newcastle's defensive work against Manchester City and before we dive into that let's just play this clip from Newcastle United manager Eddie Howe who talks about the way Newcastle conceded the goals yeah I need to see them again I think the last goal was from our half goal kick or a free kick and we didn't get our, our shape right. We pushed too many men forward, which, when you consider there's a minute left of the game, was, wasn't was the most intelligent thing we've done uh, as a team. So I think we kick ourselves with the last goal, especially the fourth goal. Um, I'd need to see back again. Uh, initially, I thought it was offside, but he, he was clearly onside. Um, he's had a shot, and it's, it's obviously meant to score, and it's gone straight to the lad in the box. So, um, no, we'll look at those goals, and, and we'll look at all the goals. And I felt that was individual mistakes cost us today. And as I said, you can't do that here. And as luck would have it, Aaron, I think Eddie Howe agrees with me, or should I say, I agree with Eddie Howe. He talks there about individual errors, and I was watching the game yesterday, and apart from the fifth goal, which was real quality, and then you have tired legs from Newcastle United, I was left concluding that the first four, really, they weren't unstoppable, they were entirely avoidable, and I just felt it was a case of Newcastle not defending rather than Man City turning on the quality, which we know they have. But you look at the first goal, Cancelo was uh, left by Alan St. Maximum, Sterling was left by Dan Byrne. You then have the Rodri goal, where Kraft lets him run, Joe Linton doesn't react quick enough. You then have Shinsenko unmarked on the edge of the box, and his goal falls to, his shot falls to, to Foden, who again is unmarked. And it was, for me, just a case of Castanite had just been careless in defence and against Manchester City you're going to get punished against any side in the Premier League you're likely to get punished but especially a side like City who despite going out in the Champions League are still one of the best sides in Europe are going to be the best side in England and I think and as we've heard there Eddie Howe will be frustrated at how his defence performed because as we've mentioned Man City are such a good side they do not need any help in front of goal yeah, definitely, and I think we all went into yesterday's game knowing that it would be tough. You know, City are a different animal, a wounded animal from Wednesday. They've got that extra ammunition that Liverpool had dropped points on Saturday evening. But just from the sort of 15 minutes mark and onwards, I thought we just made it so easy for them. You know, was the system right? I'm not sure. Having St Maximum on Cancelo, Cancelo sort of got that free roam to do whatever he wants in that side, and I don't know whether that was the right decision, but... Like you say, for the first goal, he's not tracking back. There's other chances where I think it was the, the the second goal, the corner actually comes from Cancelo winning the corner. Maxi again isn't tracking him back. And I think when you look back at the first goal especially, that ball gets floated in. Cancelo is unmarked because Maxi hasn't tracked back properly. And if you watch in that split second, Sterling, as soon as that ball is in the air to hit Cancelo... Sterling's already making his run at the back post and Dan Burns just left in no man's land. That's like the different levels we're talking about. City, two, three steps ahead, just a completely different 
on a different planet to Newcastle at the minute. And it's like we said after Tottenham, if anybody needed a reminder of the sort of gap that we've got to the top, we've got all this money now and these ambitious plans, but it, it's going to take time to really, you know, get anywhere near what we saw yesterday. And listeners might be screaming at their iPhones and saying, well, it's Manchester City. You know, what more do you expect? But as I said there, they are one of the best sides in Europe. They don't need any extra help to be as good as they are. And you know that you've got to be defensively strong against these sort of sides. And if there were four absolutely unstoppable goals, then you say, okay, fair enough, you hold your hands up. But they weren't. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the Martin Dubravka error in this. And I mean, it's just our luck that last week we were busy praising him for his performance against Liverpool and today uh, on Sunday he, he has an absolute nightmare with that effort he's got to hold on to that better and that's just another example of an individual error where if you're not at the top of your game you will be punished and you can excuse one maybe two but I, I mean I, I really do feel there were at least four individual errors and, and even before Sterling gets the goal for the opener there were two chances before that both went wide. Both should have been in the back of the net. I think one was from Nepal and one was from Cancelo. And they were the warning signs. Again, they come down the flanks where Miggy and Almiron are leaving them to do so. Matt Target and Emil Kraft are then left, you know, caught between two men. And it, it, it was quite alarming, actually, I think, when you look back and you think, well, why weren't those warning signs acted upon? Why isn't someone from the touchline just saying, look, Miggy, get closer St. Maximum, get closer. Why isn't Dan Byrne, Jamal Lascelles, just going over, making sure that those players are doing the jobs they have been tasked to do? And, of course, in the end, they get punished by Sterling's header. Frustrating, yes, it's Manchester City, but come on. I think we're at the stage now where if Newcastle wants to be achieving more than just surviving every season, we can't just keep saying, you know, it's, it's, they've been beaten by a really good side because... We've seen this season where worse sides than Newcastle really have held top sides to draws or even beaten them. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's coming to the end of the season, but I don't think we can sit sit back and just say, oh, well, we, we, we write this one off because that's not the standard Eddie Howe has set. Definitely, and, and look, it is Manchester City, one of the best teams on in the world, you know, probably going to go on and win the Premier League title. We all knew yesterday was going to be a tough game, but there's standards to keep. And yesterday... The standards just weren't there. I think if you had showed somebody who had a vague interest in Newcastle highlights and said, who's managing that team? They would have thought it was a Bruce performance or a Pardew performance. That was not a typical Eddie Howe performance. And we've seen, the like the Chelsea away game, so defensively organised, you know, they were drilled, they were pressing when they needed to press, they were tracking their men. And obviously they kept them sort of at nil-nil for 90 minutes. Yesterday, it just seemed to go out the window. We all know how Manchester City play. You know, yes, I don't watch Manchester City every week, but you know that what they try to do is to try to get the ball to the byline or put crosses in, and they always try and put it across goal. And in the opening 15 minutes yesterday, you had Target just not tracking his man at the back post, like for that Cancelo chance that he put wide. Just simple, simple things about tracking runners and... It looked like a team yesterday that was ready for the summer. It looked like a team that was ready for the beach. They looked shattered in the second half. And I think those two late goals showed just how tired they were because, you know, the shape just completely collapsed. And I think Howe was right that it, it was individual errors yesterday. And for as brilliant City are and as brilliant City were at times, we made it so easy for them. And, and it, it wasn't a performance that's typical of, of what we've seen from Howe in recent months. 
Gary Neville said what this performance gives Eddie Howe is an added bit of knowledge to who goes in the summer and who stays. And we've spoken about this on, on the podcast several times. There's only really a couple of players that you would say will 100% be here, be in the starting lineup. I mean, you know, obviously there's a few that will be in and around the squad. But I even look at the likes of maybe Dan Byrne and, and some people will say, oh, well, this is a total overreaction to, to uh, uh, an average performance that Dan Byrne had against City. But if he is here for the long term, which you would think he is, you know, he's, he's young enough and they spent a bit of money on him. But looking at that and where Newcastle want to go, they want to be giving these top teams a really good going and they really want to try and be matching them, if not bettering them. I think performances like that make Eddie Howe and the recruitment team kind of stand up, sit up and take notes and go, well, actually okay, maybe we do need to go out and get another quality centre-back. Maybe we even need to go and get two. Because, again, yesterday there was cases where he was just stepping out a little bit too early, where he was losing his head at times, losing the concentration. And I'm not, I don't want to pick on an individual players, but I think it's important that we actually look at the performance of players and, and, and are honest and truthful. As good as Dan Byrne has been, as good as Eddie Howe has been in the dugout and turned Newcastle season around... Um, and again, we don't want to overreact, but I think looking ahead to the summer, performances like that, you go, well, actually, is Dan Byrne that top quality centre-back which can lead Newcastle at the top 10? I'm, I, you know, I'm, I, I keep going back, I keep going yes and no, and performances like that just leave me somewhere in the middle. I'm, I'm not sure on Dan Byrne. I mean, it, it isn't just yesterday, and, and I, like you say, we don't want to pick on individuals, but there was yesterday, there was the Chelsea, there was the switching off the Chelsea defeat, there was the Spurs defeat where he was really off his game. Would you be surprised if Lascelles and Byrne aren't, aren't you know, first choices next season? Not at all. I think there's just a different sort of level at Newcastle, be it, and I, and I don't think those two are potentially... Dan Byrne was a good, a, a good signing in January. It was what we needed. He brought defensive stability at a time where they were leaking goals. He brought that sort of local lad passion... And, you know, he got the fans on board and stuff, but is he the man to, to take Newcastle forward and up the table long-term? I don't know. You look at other areas of the pitch yesterday, and if I'm honest, I completely forgot Sean Longstaff was playing for about 70 minutes. I just, I just you know, players like that who are fighting for their future, he's the first name you'd think of when you think he needs to show what he can do. He was given such a huge opportunity yesterday. Willock out, Shelby out. Yes, look, it's Man City. He's not going to have a line share of the ball, but just like we were saying, basics, not doing it right. If that was his audition for a new contract, then, you know, that says it all. Chris Wood, we're running out of patience with him, you know. It, Shall it, we talk about that chance? Yeah, yeah. let's let's talk about because the chance and get it off for chess because we've been... It came quite early on in the game and we'd said last week uh, on the, the preview episode with John Gibson that if Newcastle get an early goal, that could really make a difference because... City could either be ready to pounce and just get rid of the, the, the nightmare in Madrid, get that out of their minds, or they could be sat there licking their wounds. And I think an early goal really could have tipped that game in Newcastle's favour, of course. An early goal at any game does so. Um, and just the way it came about, that chance for Chris Wood, I I honestly just couldn't quite believe it. Because... We, we complain a lot of the time about Maxi not putting the ball in the box. He puts it in the box. It's a great cross. And Chris Wood's bread and butter is that chance. He is good in the air. You know, nine times out of ten, you're expecting that to be in the back of the net. 
It's such a tame header. And then you've got Joe Linton as well, right behind him, who's probably in an arguably a better position to put that in the back of the net. And it's so funny because you're thinking of that force Joe Linton, you're backing up the score, and that yeah. shows how far he's come. Yeah. But you just, I just look at that, and that just sums up Chris Wood's time at Newcastle United. And again, we don't want to pick on individual players, but you can't miss a chance like that against opposition as good as this and, as, and not get a bit of criticism for it. He should have scored. Without doubt, he should have put that into the back of the net. Do you think, Aaron, that he was very aware who was on the bench and waiting to come on? Very aware that if that had been Callum Wilson in that position, you're probably seeing he scored that. A hundred percent. And I think it it's telling that, you know, Wilson comes off the bench for 30 minutes. It's his first game back. He's not up to match speed and he probably does more in that 30 minutes to trouble Man City's defence than would did all game. As you said there, that's his bread and butter. That is his USP. You put the ball in the, into the six-yard box, pretty much was what it was, and Chris Buddle had it in. It's just a player devoid of confidence, and will it have probably been in the back of his mind that Wilson's back? Yes, but he's had long enough. You know, he's had a, he's had a clean run at that, at that striking position since he came in January because Gale hasn't been given a choice, and, and he's been the, you know, sort of the, the man Howe's wanted. He's another one like Longstaff, you know, if... Byrne and Longstaff and Wood, who all came, well, two of them came in in January. Would you be surprised if two of them went? Wood potentially. We were talking this morning. You know, if a if a if a you know bottom half prem table comes in with 10, 15 million, I could the, see Newcastle. That's in Newcastle in the position where they can they can kind of write off ten million in many ways, can't they? You know, it's it was no. Uh, I mean, there were claims by some. You know, the, the purchase of Wood was partly done because it damaged Burnley, which, I mean, I'm not, I don't agree. I mean, it did damage Burnley, but I don't think that was the reason behind it. You know, you, Newcastle thought they'd got a, a striker who has a, a, a decent record in the Premier League. It hasn't worked for him, but no, you know, like you said there, if a, a team comes in with a cheeky £15 million bid, I wouldn't be surprised if Newcastle said, fair enough, because we know they're looking for a striker this summer. So if you've got a fit Callum Wilson, and then you've gone out and spent... 35, 40 million or not on a really good striker who's got a really good record who's in good form then is Chris Wood himself going to be happy to be third choice you know he knows I think he's not the level of Callum Wilson we all know he's not so he's not going to be above Callum Wilson um, it, it's all just going to come down to how quickly Newcastle United want to, t- want to move up the table and up the levels isn't it and that's the same with Dan Byrne I'd be a little bit surprised if Dan Byrne left this summer I think you have a more than decent Premier League centre back there who would be excellent for cover, who would still challenge, you know, the the, the potential top centre backs that come in in the summer, whether that be a D or Carlos or Zaven Botman or or you know James Tarkovsky, he would push them, and that's what you need. That's what you want if you're looking to get up the league to be a coming established top eight side. You need that competitive nature in the squad, and Dan Byrne is exactly the kind of person who delivers that. Um, but it is all about how much Newcastle and how quickly and how much money they've got to spend to get up to the next level. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, people talk about, you know, Newcastle are, you know, they've got all this money to spend. And, and as we touched on earlier, that gap is so big. They need to be ruthless. If they want to close that gap to City, they need to be ruthless with their players. And, and I've touched on it before in the podcast that it'll be a shame to see a lot of them go because it's a, they're a good group. They've obviously got, a, you know, a good team spirit. But there's just a lot of them that I don't think are at that level. And I think it's 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 time to be cutthroat with it. And I think 
hopefully House is the man to do that. You know, obviously we've seen the likes of Dummett getting a new deal and stuff and, you know, maybe before yesterday, Longstaff is, you know, the talks are still ongoing, but, you know, will these players be there in three or four years' time? Probably not. Because Newcastle do, and, and as we have also said on this podcast before, the Saudis have got such lofty ambitions for them. They aren't just going to be happy with, you know, 10th or 11th next season. They want to be chasing, um, especially when you've got players like Bruno coming out and saying that, you know, the goal next season is to qualify for Europe. I don't know how helpful that is when players are coming out and saying that, but that's clearly what, you know, these big players that are coming in want. You know, if we sign Diego Carlos in the summer, who is, you know, was in the La Liga title race for a lot of the season, who's, you know, playing European football every other week, they aren't going to be happy with mid-table. Um, so, yeah, it, it's about how quick Newcastle want to get to that level, how quick they want to raise the game. And I think, you know, the more brutal they are this summer, you know, in their sort of first transitional period, you know, the quicker that they'll get to the level of City, which still, as I've touched on, is is a long way off after yesterday. Kieran Trippier, and as you mentioned, Callum Wilson back for the first time in a long while. Both suffered long injuries. And what I absolutely loved, within 30 seconds of them coming on the pitch, they just had that nasty bite about them. You know, Callum Wilson, straight away, he's in there and he's pushed one of the players in the box. And... Kieran Trippier's holding on to someone in the corner. It takes a long while to, to get going. It's actually Dan Byrne that ends up getting booked. But there was a moment there, and you, what you saw was them just having that nasty little edge about them, which I didn't see throughout the whole of the game until they came on. Of course, that's not going to win you points, but I just think it adds a little bit of a different dynamic to, to your game when you've got players who can do that, who can be the little bit of a wind-up merchant. And what you saw was Dan Byrne lose his head a little bit. You then saw Kieran Trippier going over and just saying, calm down focus so you see that leadership element that's been missing with Kieran Trippier being out but you also saw the cleverness because as I said moments before Kieran Trippier was on the wind-up but he did it in a subtle manner he did it and then he walked away he didn't let himself you know get caught up in whatever the referee did or Dan Byrne unfortunately did and that's just that little bit of different class there that you have with the likes of Kieran Trippier to Callum Wilson compared to maybe the rest of the team we've seen it with Bruno as well he's very clever the niggly little fouls the little you know digs here and there and, of course, that's not going to make the world a difference. I'm not saying, you know, if they'd come on 20 minutes earlier and done that, Newcastle wouldn't have lost 5-0. But, you know, going ahead, it is those little elements that can change change the result, change the, the, the dynamic of a game. 100%. And I think it's just that elite mentality, isn't it? Trippier's like, a, you know, he's one of those winners and he's got that nasty streak about him because winning at all costs, you know, you look at Emil Kraft, does he have that? Probably not, you know, you know, a couple of these players too timid and it's nothing against them, it's just I think, you know, they haven't been in that position where they've been winning things before. Trippier, you know, he's a winner, he's went everywhere, he's been in Champions League finals, he's won league titles and, you know, this is the this is the standard we're talking about now. I've actually got a stat for you about Trippier, I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd bring this in. So he came on about the hour mark yesterday, didn't he? He crossed the ball into City's box three times only St Maximum crossed it more in the entire game for Newcastle, which I think just shows you, I mean, it's quite a poor reflection on sort of Kraft, who, you know, had the bulk share of that game to get forward and, you know, just doesn't sort of have that, you know, knack to really attack as Trippier does. But it shows you what they've been missing. It's that sort of creative spark. And, you know, if we can get him back fit and, you know, properly over the summer, then, you know, it's it's exciting to have him back properly in the, in the, for the, the next season. But... Wilson as well, I thought was brilliant. Um, in the short time he came on, like you say, put himself about. You know, maybe there was a bit of rust- rustiness there when he missed that chance when he, you know, got played through off Murphy. Um, 
but, but it was just, just the fact he was there but making yeah, the runs. It, that was that was the difference. When have we seen that from Chris Wood? You know, the ball gets played in the middle, and Chris Wood's thinking, right, I'm beating the defender. I mean, for the majority of that second half, Chris Wood was up against Fernandinho, who you know, fantastic player, but he's what 37 now. He's on his last legs. Get at him a bit, and you know, I think that was what was good to see about Wilson. And and it does go back to the point that we made a few months ago, maybe even before you arrived here at Chronicle Towers, that I always felt the signing of Chris Wood was a little bit strange for the way Newcastle United play. And we kind of saw that with Wilson's introduction against City. Straight away, he's making runs. He's into the channels. That is not Chris Wood's game. And I always felt it was just a little bit of a strange decision to bring in a player whose bread and butter is to, to win the ball in the air, to knock it on, to put the ball home in the box when he's gone in for the header. When Newcastle tended to play before Cal Wilson got injured, the passes round the defender where you need a forward man to make the runs into the channels. And just in that brief um, time that he was on against Man City, we saw exactly what he can do and exactly why the system is more suited to a player like Callum Wilson than it is Chris Wood. Yeah, definitely. And you know what it is? When Chris Wood came in, I actually thought it was quite a good signing. Because, you know, he's consistently hit over 10 goals in every Premier League season. He's hard. He's, you know, yes, it did damage Burnley. But I thought, yeah, you know, he's a, he's a proven goal scorer. He'll be a good standard for Wilson. But I think we've seen that he doesn't fit the style and he, he doesn't look like an Eddie Howe player. And, you know, I think it was Janola a couple of weeks ago that touched on, you know, Newcastle don't have that identity yet under uh, Howe. And, you, you know, they don't have that way of playing. And I think going forward, if Howe wants to keep playing how he has done the last four months... Chris Wood's not the man for that system, and which is a shame. But you know, like I say, he's had three or four months to sort of prove that he can fit in here and hit the ground running. It just hasn't worked for him, and and you know he's now sort of been dragged back into that category of you know does he go in the summer if an offer comes in? And yeah, it, it's a shame. But I think Wilson showed yesterday that he's if we can keep him fit, what a, what an asset he is. It's just such a shame that you know he's he, he's seemingly made out of glass. But yeah. Great to see him back, and and I think it's just a bit damning for Wilson, really, for um, for Wood, really. It's refreshing to be sitting here though, and actually knowing Newcastle United are looking to do real business in the summer. That they're not just going to be content with finishing eleventh or twelfth. That they're not just maybe going to bring in one quality addition. You know, they want to improve, and yes, it will be slow and steady, but they've got real ambitions, and and they'll have and they've got plans for this summer. And, you know. We're talking about potentially Chris Wood exiting, and, you know, and some people will be sitting here thinking, "Ah, never in a million years, you know, twenty-five million. They're not just going to send them, send them away after six months." But you know, if they've got real ambitions to break into that top ten, there's a place in the. I mean, there's a place in the roster there that Chris Wood would take up. As we've mentioned, how happy is he going to be sitting third choice if they do bring in a quality striker? And has he really got the? the desire and want to, to, or maybe just even the ability to really challenge a top quality striker. And we saw the likes of Lukaku being linked last week, which, you know, Newcastle United fans would snap your hands off for a player of that, that, that quality. Again, maybe doesn't fit into the, the system too well, but he's, he's the kind of level of striker we would think Newcastle will be aiming for this summer. And if he's at the top level, how many levels down are you putting Chris Wood at? I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. How how happy is he going to be with being third choice potentially? And for a player that went for twenty five million and 
would probably do a job at a, at a lot of other Premier League teams. Um, and I think a lot of teams would take a punt on him. It, you know, it's I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility that he does go. Um, but I think what was telling yesterday about Eddie Howe's press conferences, you know, it's been frustrating for us as journalists because while Steve Bruce gives too much away, Eddie Howe gives nothing away. He does not give you an answer. He gives you nothing. Yesterday was the first time we really saw him talking about the summer plans afterwards and saying, everywhere I've been, you know, you know, we've made changes in the summer and I think this will be no different. Players will go, which is so different to what he's been like. And, you know, he's been talking up all these players. We love Dummett. We want Longstaff to stay. Mackie's been great. Miggy's great. Yesterday, you know, he said after Tottenham that they could take it as a positive. In his mind, he'd be seeing that as a positive yesterday because, right, we know now that XYZ probably aren't going to be here. You know, Kieran Kelly, one of our writers, has written this morning that, you know, we could easily see players that weren't in the 25-man squad yesterday that have played the last game. It's about being, you know, cutthroat, as we've said, and about being, you know, having that killer instinct. And we've just got to hope that, you know, there, there isn't just that sort of nice and sentimentality this season of let's keep them around, you know. This summer is the big change. You can attract big players this summer. Bruno's already trying to bring his mate in. Maxman's going to be trying to bring his mates in from abroad, selling them this project. Games like yesterday are a step back because people look at it and think, well, if Arsenal City or Tottenham come in for us, let's go. So I think, you know, this summer will be telling as to as to what their plans are and how quick they want to get there from who stays and who comes in. Again, and Castle fans will just be applauding that. It's just refreshing to be in a position where the manager's able to make all the changes he wants. Again, we go back to Steve Bruce wanting to do a lot and he wasn't given the chance. And it, this is the good thing about this ownership. You know, they are going to allow Eddie Howe to do what he wants and it'll be within reason, but Eddie Howe is trusted and he shares the ambition as well of the of the, the top table at St. James Park, which is, can only be exciting for Newcastle United fans. And you are right. We would think quite a few of those that aren't even in the squad have probably played their, their last game, you know, the likes of Kieran Clark. But even some of those that started yesterday, you know, everyone knows I'm a big fan of of Miggy. But um, you know, what does the future hold for him? I, I would like to, to see him, you know, be here at the start of next season. But games like yesterday, when he he had a couple of chances to get the ball in the box, and he's just turning back on himself and passing backwards or sideways, that's not good enough. And it is, it is those brief moments where between being an average Premier League player and being a top quality player. You know, if Bruno Gomeresh, for instance, was in some of the positions Almiron found himself in, in yesterday, would the ball be in the box? I would argue yes. Almiron, whether he didn't have the confidence, whether I don't, I don't know what it was, you know, he's passing backwards and that brief chance, because you don't get many of those moments against a side like City, is gone. It allows City to get their shape back. They're the, they're the, it's the fine margins and... and Again, people will say, oh, you're overreacting, but I don't think many of them, I don't think those players who, who are fighting for the futures did all that well against Manchester City and, and did enough to really say, well, actually, I, I deserve to be here next to And again, yes, it's Manchester City, but this is the quality, this is the bar that Eddie Howe and the owners will be reaching for. You know, next season, Newcastle will not want to be getting thumped 5-0 by Manchester City. You know, they're going to have to put in a much better show because hopefully in the summer they've, they've added quality. And yeah, I, you know, if you're a few of them starting yesterday, I'll be, I would be a little bit worried about the summer. Yeah, definitely. And we've got to remember that it wasn't just Eddie Howe and us watching on yesterday. You know, Stavely 
and and Murdad were in, were in attendance, and no doubt the you know the Saudi side were watching as well, and they aren't going to be happy enough with that. You know they aren't going to be pleased with it. And players like Miggy and Murphy, we've touched on a couple of weeks ago. You know them two were the prime example. Newcastle, I'll say, if Fraser gets injured, you know you've got six seven games to really prove your point. Miggy, you know he was fantastic against um, Palace. Great goal. Apart from that, you know we, we always come back to that thing about end product decision making. Same with Murphy. And and you know I've, I've I've said this a lot of times on the podcast that that only gets you so far. And players like Longstaff and their honesty, you know, it only takes you so far. I mean, you're looking yesterday. We talk about Trippier and Bruno being a level above our lot. KDB and Cancelo are a level above Bruno. Like there's there's levels in this Newcastle squad that are already changing, but you know we need to go much higher um, to get to you know anywhere close to City after yesterday. But again, I bet our listeners or some of them are saying, "Well, it's not going to happen overnight." You yeah, need of course. To, we need to mm-hmm. put it in a co- into context. But again, you know there are there will be changes in the summer, and it's going to be interesting, and there needs to be changes in the summer. And, we talked earlier about the kind of the nitty gritty that Wilson and, and Trippier brought on. There was a moment when uh, Kevin De Bruyne just skipped past Sean Longstaff, and then there was a moment when St. Maximin skipped past Kevin De Bruyne. The difference being Kevin De Bruyne laid him out on the floor. Sean Longstaff didn't bring De Bruyne down. Like I'm not a fan of these, you know, cynical, cynical, cynical fouls. fouls. You know, the fouls that need to be committed. But in that moment. That kind of shows you the fine margins again. Why, you know, Longstaff should have just, just bring him down, you know, stop him going and when you get a booking for it, fair enough. Um, it is it is the fine fine margins. But again, it is Manchester City. But I do just think it's a little bit too easy to keep saying it's, it's Manchester City. It's Liverpool. They've, you know, they've been building over X, Y, Z years. Yeah, fine, they have. But is getting them 5-0 really good enough? No. No, and, and it's not just, look... Some people will be listening to this and screaming at the phones that we're being, you know, too, you know, we're being too emotional about, look, it's City, it's at the Etihad, they're going for the title, they had the bit between their teeth, but allowing a team in the Premier League to have 99% possession, 10 minutes into the second half, I mean, come on, it's about self-respect, isn't it? And then, like you said, you know, it's about, you know, De Bruyne obviously hacks down St. Maximum and we weren't doing the same, and it's about... You know, it's about having a bit of passion, a bit of pride about it. And there was just none of that on display yesterday, I thought. None I, of it. Because I, I, people, again, will be listening to say, well, if that had been Steve Bruce, you know, we would, the critics on social media would have been a lot louder. But I still think you saw them trying to wake up the play. And when they did have the ball in the, the brief moments and setting off, they were trying to do the right things. And Gavin Neville pointed that out as well. And that's the difference between a Steve Bruce side and an Eddie Howe side. And the difference is as we've heard what Eddie Howe had to say, that's the difference. You can tell he wasn't happy. You can tell he was a little bit, maybe a little bit embarrassed about the final scoreline. He said, you know, some of the, the player wasn't intelligent enough and he wasn't content just saying, it's Manchester City, what do you expect? Because he set the bar. He knows what he wants to achieve at Newcastle United. And yes, Man City quality, the way they play, what they've won is definitely a long way in the future for Newcastle United. But, it's no good being beaten five 0 and just accepting it. You know, you've got to look back and you've got to be brutal in 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 your assessment of it, as we are here, and as I'm sure Eddie Howe will be this week and saying this wasn't good enough, that wasn't good enough, you weren't good enough, and you've mentioned there the, the cutthroat nature that's going to happen, going to going to have to have to happen in the summer. I've got no doubt Eddie Howe will be absolutely 
as ruthless as it needs to be. You know, if Sean Longstaff doesn't get a new contract, fair enough. If we don't see Jamal Lewis in in this in the, in the summer in a black and white shirt, as much as I think he deserves no chance, fair enough. That's why Eddie Howe has been appointed. That's why he gets the big bucks. That's why he's got this reputation. And that's exactly what needs to happen in the summer. It's a big, big period for Newcastle United. It's a very important transfer window. And I've got full confidence Eddie Howe will not shy away from making those big decisions. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think I think yesterday as well will have just went even further just to reinforce about how much they need to change. Um and look, they've got the money at their disposal. We saw what they did in January, you know, with a month, you know, a month to do it in the relegation zone, you know, potentially going down to the championship. What they've got, you know, at their disposal now in this summer, a free, you know, a, a clean break to say, look, we're starting afresh next season. There's going to be no relegation battle that you need to worry about. Come and join us, you know, get in at sort of the, the lower level of this project. And, and I think how knows that, look, they've got, you know, they're one of the most attractive prospects in Europe this summer. They need to use that to advantage and I've got no doubt that how will. We spoke about on the previous episode whether it would be Chris Wood up front and whether it would be Joel Linson. Me and, and John both said it has to be, well, it, it, Joel Linton at least has to go back into the midfield because we felt you dilute Joel Linton's threat. He's He has turned himself into this enforcer and that's where I see him playing next season. I know Eddie Howe said he won pigeonhole him, but I think... He just looks a totally different character when he's in that midfield. And I thought, actually, he gave a decent account of himself against some top, top players. Again, didn't set the world alight, but he was he was trying to put his foot about. He was trying to to break up the play. He, and, and we spoke about the nasty nature of Newcastle that was missing before Trippier and, and Wood came on. But if you any two players did you know provide it before those two... Um, sorry, before Wilson came on, before those subs came on, um, it was Bruno and Joe Linton. You know, Bruno flew in with that challenge, um, which he got yeah. booked for. And Joe Linton was getting his foot stuck in. And, and it's going to be interesting going forward because we've mentioned there the features of Longstaff, Joe Willick, Shelby. They've got options. You know, I've seen today Isaac Hayden linked with a move away. We've mentioned Paqueta potentially, you know, coming in. That central midfield is so interesting. And you look at this options Man City have, the, the players they rested, that play across the midfield. You know, a good side needs those options and the ability for the manager to change. So if you were saying, well, Joe Linton and uh, Bruno, definitely. Shelby, probably Joe Willick as well. And then Paqueta, maybe another one. That's what a good side needs in that midfield department. Yeah, you need five or six in that in that department, especially if you're going to pay a three going forward, which it looks like how will, but you wouldn't like to be a, a betting man putting a bet on who's going to be the first three names on the team sheet for that first game in August because, like you say, Bruno, you know, will walk into it. If they sign someone else in the summer, you know, does that does that leave Shelby out of place? Willick's been in and out. Can he stay fit? And like you say, Joe Linton's just that one where we don't really know where to put him. Do we need to stick or twist or is he just, you know, good having that sort of versatility? But like you say, he was one of the ones yesterday that was putting himself about. He probably didn't do enough of the ball, but, you know, we've seen that a couple of times this season with Joe Linton that, you know, he probably does some of his better work when he hasn't actually got the ball. Um, but someone made a, uh, you know, a very, very, someone did a very good tweet this week of Joe Linton 
earlier this season and there was four or five games and they put four photos together and it was all the times that Jolton's, you know, try to essentially have a scrap with the opposition. And I think, you know, that's where he's best at. He's a wind-up merchant. You know, he puts himself about and draws the fouls, tries to wind the players up. And, you know, we saw that at Tottenham when he shoved uh, Bentecourt at the ground. But, you know, I think that's where he does his best work, you know, maybe sometimes without the ball at his feet. So, interesting summer uh, and, and interesting with that midfield three as to as to who's going to come in. Lascelles returned to the starting eleven. He partnered Dan Byrne and our Sunderland writer James Hunter just came to the office there. He's heading down to see Sunderland take on Sheffield Wednesday down at Hillsborough and he, he he asked me what I thought about the game and he said when I saw Lascelles in the starting lineup, I thought Newcastle had no hope. And I actually said to him, I thought he did better than Dan Byrne. I thought actually he was probably the best defender on the pitch. You know, Matt Target didn't have the best of the games. Emil Kraft, you know, didn't have necessarily a bad game, but didn't didn't do anything too special. Kieran Trippi, I quickly found out he's not maybe up to pace when <laughs> uh, Jack Grealish burned him, but that's to be expected. And I, I did think Lascelles give a decent account of himself, and he's another one whose future maybe has a question mark over it. But I thought he did all right. I thought he did okay. Uh, I'll admit when I'll probably... I felt the same as James when I saw the line, that I was a bit concerned that it was him back in, but I thought he did okay. He was probably the best of a bad bunch, really, in terms of defence, but this is another big question around him. You know, he's the captain. He's been there a long time. He's been a very good servant. You know, the dressing room clearly love him. Is he at that level? I don't think so. Does he go in the summer? Or do you keep him around for that sort of dressing room? But I think going forward, as we touched on earlier, having the cells and burn at the back... It's not going to win Newcastle anything. It's not going to get them even into Europe, I don't think. I just don't think as nice as they are and as good they've been this season and in previous seasons, I just don't think they're at the level. And this is what we've got to talk about now in Newcastle. You know, this is, you know, as the away fans like to sing yesterday, the the richer the Man City, they can attract big players. And I just think if a, if a marquee centre defender comes in, one of those two, now that Shaw's got his new deal, is is at real risk of being tossed aside. One man who is staying about for at least the next year is Paul Dummett. Got a lot of reaction on social media when it was announced he signed a one-year extension. A lot of people asking why his injury record isn't the greatest. You know, He's missed a lot of football over the last few years through injury. His pace is probably gone, and, and, and he's one of those who's probably actually better at centre-back now than he would be at left-back. But we've mentioned there the options they've got, the potential they'll probably go out and sign at least one top-quality centre-back. So I can't see him forcing his way into the first-team picture. A lot of people were saying, well, it's a good thing to do for the next 12 months because it what it allows Eddie Howe to have is a character in the dressing room who can put across to, the, to potential new arrivals just how important it is that they give everything for the black-and-white shirt. He's a Geordie. You know, if he's not playing for Newcastle United, he'll be in the stands. You know, he's he's often in the away end if he's, if he's out injured. You know, there's been pictures of him supporting the club um, when they have been away from home. So he knows exactly what it means to play for Newcastle United. He will be as excited as any other Newcastle United fan. And, and yet that is important to, to help put across Newcastle's history, tradition, and, and the importance of giving you all for the club. But on... The footballing side of things, I'm not really sure why he's been handed a new deal. Then, what your thoughts are? Uh, you know what it is. I'm probably going to go against everything that I've just said in the previous um, 20 minutes about being brutal and getting rid of players that are dead with. But I was actually quite pleased that he got a new deal. 
Had it been a two or three year deal, I probably would have been shaking my head. But he's been very unlucky with injuries. He's a very versatile player. And I think people forget that when he's fit, he does do a very good job. And I think when he when he's especially when he was used in the on the left side of a back five as a centre back, he was really good. And as you touched on, he's a local lad, he knows the club. He's another one that's clearly really well liked in the dressing room. He knows more about Newcastle than you know a lot of us of of that that we know about it. So yeah, I was I was quite happy, but it was interesting to see the reaction on social media because you know, there was, I was probably in the minority of people that was happy, and I think there was a lot of people that were thinking, "Why is he, you know, why is he being given it?" But I think twelve months is sensible, and it's probably just a message from saying, if you can get yourself fit, fine, but if you can't, then you know it's twelve months, and then you know you'll have to be moved on. But I I was actually quite pleased that he's been given a new deal. I mean, it's great to see the local lads getting a deal to stay around, but I just how happy is he going to be? not getting the game because again uh, if if everything goes to plan in the transfer window and they sign the players we believe they're after then he doesn't get looking does he? Mm, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't imagine so if they have a busy summer of defensive recruitments but you know he's clearly been working hard behind the scenes and, and trying to get you know back up to speed you know I'm not actually sure where he's at in his injury at the minute but I w- you know if he's fit I wouldn't mind you know seeing him giving a run out before the end of the season but you know, this summer's a big one for him and I think the message will be, you know, this is his last chance saloon and, and if you can get yourself back fit and prove your worth. But if not, but like you say, you know, if you know, if one or two defenders come in in the summer, he does get sort of shuff, shuffled down that pack, which is... Because that, tricky. that's the position we're at now. Like, I mm-hmm. would love to see Paul Dummett fit mm-hmm. and getting a chance at centre-back where I think he's now strongest at. Getting a consistent run of games, you know, 12, 15, 20 games and just saying, look, this is your chance, go out and do it because that's what every player needs essentially, isn't it? They need a run of games to prove themselves because if you have a good couple of games, momentum rolls, snowballs, etc, etc. But at the same time, Newcastle are at that point in time where they're now no longer just thinking about, well, okay, we've survived this season, next season we'll do the same. That that was my gosh, Newcastle. This is a totally different beast. This has the potential to get for Newcastle to get into that top 10 and, and move quickly, you know, not necessarily spending hundreds of millions of pounds. I don't think it actually needs that. I think you bring in three or four quality additions every window and you will see them move up the table. And then when you want to break in the top four, that's a completely different beast again. But for now, the next few seasons, Newcastle are in a very important stage of development. And I'm just thinking, well, actually, you know, sentiment, there isn't a place for sentiment because we mentioned you've got to be cut through it. You've got to make those decisions. And yes, you know, it's important to have those players around who can explain the history and make sure everyone's given the role. But it's an interesting one. And he's not going to get the chance to do thing to have that consistent run of games because we we foresee Newcastle going out and signing a top quality centre-back. But you know, I, I'm going to utter words that I never thought I would utter a couple of months ago, but Emil Kraft should, you know, prove an inspiration to all those Newcastle players on the fringes. Six months ago, we all thought he was done, you know. Mankio was second choice right back behind Trippier. Kraft came in, he's had that run of games, what, 10 games, really shown that, yes, look, he's not going to start over Kieran Trippier. You know, Dummett's probably not going to start over the likes of a Carlos or, you know, a big-name centre-back. But, you know, with injuries and stuff like that, you never know, and Kraft's proved it. Dummett's now got to come in if he gets the chance and do the same. But, you know, there's a lot of ifs and buts there. You know, you are relying on injuries and stuff like that. But 
but yeah, you never know. Look, we've, we've, you never say never. And I think Kraft's proof to that. Well, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how that deal works out and if Paul Dummett can indeed force his way into Newcastle's first team under Eddie Howe. A bit more positive news on top of that Dummett contract is Newcastle United have submitted plans to extend their training ground up at Benton, something that's been needed for a very, very long time. I remember going up to St James's Park, it must have been two and a half, three years ago now, and speaking to the facilities manager, Eddie Rutherford, who I think is still there, and we were talking about the training ground, and he said, look, we know what needs to be done. There's a plan there. It's not going to happen overnight, and essentially said, you know, there's a budget for, for things to be done, and what needs to be done probably doesn't fit within that budget. I tell you what, though, how long have the owners been in? This is sort of overnight, isn't it? You know, they're not held about, and we'll just read through, you know, what they've submitted to North Tyneside Council. New, uh, well, a wet room, a new wet room, kitchen extension, new changing rooms, new doctor and physio rooms, a new players' lounge, a new dining room. You know, loads of important things that pretty much every other Premier League club have have, have got, sorry, and, and a few championship clubs at that as well. I mean, the Newcastle United fans will be celebrating. I feel like we should have a jingle. I really wanted to play cooler than the gang when I saw um, we were going to be talking about Newcastle getting a, getting a pool at the training ground, but I don't want to get done for copyright, so and uh, we're not going to sing uh, Celebrate Good Time either, but it is course to celebration. Newcastle are getting a wet room, getting a hydro pool, and the, the, the images in the, the, the uh, plan that was submitted were from Manchester City's training ground and the explanation about what it can bring. Just the fact that the paddling pools can now go on eBay and you can <laughs> you can buy them. I mean, I don't think they are any of you, but you get the point I'm making. It's just great to see the owners not not hanging about and saying, actually, you know what? Here we go. Let's get this sorted. Yeah, and it's another promise kept. You know, they came in and said straight away that, you know, it needed to be changed and that they were going to, you know, do refurbishments. And it's good to see that they're not only going to do refurbishments, they're going to essentially change the full, well, the full culture of it, really, and, and make it, you know, you know, that level above. You know, as you touched on, just stuff like, you know, you know, state-of-the-art kitchens and dining rooms and even a garden outside, which is such a small detail. And then, yeah, obviously, you've got the likes of, you know, the hydro pools that they've used City and Chelsea's example for. You know, I, I read that, the, you know, the pamphlet that they sent to the council and, and one line stuck out to me and that was that in their sort of way of justifying it to the council that it was, you know, needed and they had to, you know, accept this extension. They said that the training ground at Newcastle wasn't Premier League standard and potentially could fall below championship standard, which I just thought, if there was ever a sentence that summed up Mike Ashley's 14 years at the helm, it's that. And, you know, I was, you know, as I was writing the story on Friday about when I look back at old quotes from old managers and Alan Pardew was asking for new training ground and, you know, that's over 10 years ago. Benitez wanted changes, he got a lick of pain. This has been a long time coming um, and it's great to see the, um, the owners doing something. I've actually spoke to someone at the council about it and said, you know, is there any way that this doesn't get greenlighted? And his response was that it was actually quite a modest plan. So one point three percent. Yeah, he said it was. He was said it was so modest that you know he'd be very very surprised if it doesn't get the green light. Um, but one thing I thought that was interesting is that we did go to the club for a comment after we put the story live, and um, they came back and said that it was a temporary solution and that you know their long term aim is still to move somewhere. You know, obviously we've seen names banded about about you know could it go to the race course stuff like that obviously with the Ruben connection but good to know that you know this is just a stopgap and yeah it is and 
the intriguing thing about that is they've clearly got plans to move somewhere, but they're not saying, well, we'll just wait until that happens. You know, it's yeah. it's good enough yeah. as it is because it clearly isn't. And mm-hmm. you mentioned there the the, the the pamphlet and you go through it. Let me just read you some of the things on there um, for those who haven't managed to, to dive into it. So this is all from the the application, the design statement submitted to the council. So I'm quoting from now. The provision of a high-quality training facility is essential to enable Newcastle to keep its status as a Premier League club. Um, the proposed inv- uh, interventions aim to address the need of the first team and support staff, which is required by the club to properly run operations on a daily basis. Then it goes on to say some of the players feel like the training ground is like a maze. Then there's a line which says um, it's, it's the training ground needs to be run in a logical manner. And then the absolute killer statement for me, provision of a modern and suitable training facilities aid the club to attract and keep players and coaching staff at all levels. And some of you will say, well, why is that the killer statement? Well, if you remember a few years ago, Lee Charney went on record to say, nobody has never signed for a club based on the training ground. It is just so refreshing to see Newcastle United's owners come out with all of this and say, look, it's not good enough. And this is why it's not good enough. This is why it needs to be done. Instead of having owners who just want to plod on and do the bare minimum, because I tell you what, okay, it might not be uh, many players who haven't signed because of training facilities, but I bet you it does make a difference. A hundred percent. And I mean, we knew that Charlie quote was nonsense then, and we, we've got the proof now. If you'd have, you know, rewound 80 months ago before Newcastle had this takeover and let's say a player from France had offers from Newcastle and Leicester, okay, he comes and sees Newcastle first and he's got the paddling pools and the garden and the ice bath and it's like a maze and there's nothing and it's just not even championship standard. And then he goes down the road to Leicester where they've just spent 400 million on a training facility. They've got hotels for the players to stay in overnight. They've got hydro, you know, chambers. They've got just everything you can imagine at this training ground. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? So, look, we knew we knew that was the case, and we know it now. You know, that Darcy Park site was, I think it was built in 2002, and it's had a couple of licks of paint since then. So, long overdue, and, yeah, good to see that. Like you say, the owners are just using it as a stopgap, but they want the best until they find that new location. You could even just go down the road to Sunderland. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it, and it does just baffle you to how we got into this state, and we don't want to really dwell on it because Newcastle's under new ownership but the fact that I mean your contact there the Kansas say it's quite modest and in the plans it just say it's 0.3% of the site that's going to be developed but when you actually look at what's going to go into this single story extension and what have you it is just really <laughs> basic stuff that you expect Premier League clubs to have and Newcastle haven't got it you know the bit that I, I was actually sort of chuckling myself here when I was reading it the other day even stuff that they were thinking about where they were going to move the room. So they're going to have this new physio room next door at Eddie Howe's office. Just those little details where you can just imagine going into, you know, Benton now and you've got everything that's miles apart. Just little touches like that that I just think just show that the owners have really, you know, they've got their head screws on. They know what they're doing. And that's the important element, isn't it? Because Amanda Stavely has come out and she said many, many things and it's all good saying those things. Cause I remember Joe Kinnear had plans for a Newcastle United training ground. He came out and he explained, oh, that went to the council. Never happened. So it's easy, isn't it, to say things. And it is very easy to say, yes, we're going to do this. We've got the ambitions to do this. 
but these owners are sticking by. You know, he said, right, we're going to back the manager in January. They did that. We're going to back the women's team. They did that. We're going to improve the training ground. They're in the process of doing that. And again, for those who don't support Newcastle, who don't follow Newcastle, it's like, oh, what's the big deal? They've said they're going to do it. Yeah, but we, Newcastle United fans have had 14 years of false promises. So to actually see owners acting on their wor- words, I mean, just speaking to support us, first of all, with ambitions of doing something more than just existing is refreshing. But to see them actually acting on their promises, this is why Newcastle United are celebrating getting a wet room, getting a kitchen, uh, Newcastle fans are celebrating getting a wet room, getting a kitchen extension, because it's something that's been so needed for so long, but it's more than just an extension, isn't it? It's about what the, these owners want for Newcastle United. We've had 14 years of being told one thing and, you know, getting the hopes up, only to have them, you know, sn- you know, cruelly snatched away. It's just good that, you know, they're saying it, they're following through and it's none of this, you know, bluster or, you know, public it, sort of saving face. Yeah. It's not just for the not just about how the fans feel though either. It's about the players as well. Like the likes of St Maxims made no bones about wanting to see player uh, the the owners be ambitious. And you know, if you're Bruno Gomes and you're coming in and you're you go to that training ground and you think, Oh goodness me, this is a bit <laughs> below standard, isn't it? You know, and then he's probably been told, Don't worry, improvements are gonna gonna happen, they're gonna come. And then to see that happening, what are we, just five months down the line since you've signed? You sit up and take notice of that. You say, "All right, these guys really do mean business." Because, you know, if you break, if you don't follow through on your promise, or it takes, you know, it gets to a year down the line, your promise still hasn't been fulfilled. Then players start thinking, "Well, actually, wait there. You told me this, and it hasn't happened, and that can create all kinds of, you know, negative connotations within within you know the dressing room." But five months down the line, someone like Gunrush sees this and goes, "Okay, actually, yeah, they are true to the word. They do really mean business. That can only boost." You know, that can only help in the summer as well. Definitely. And it's all about advertising the club, isn't it? You know, fans that are from abroad or from other Premier League clubs, seeing 22,000 at a women's game, seeing the war flags display every time they step out St. James's, speaking to players in that dressing room and, and asking what it's really like. And those players have nothing but good things to say about the ownership. It's going to do absolute wonders for the club. And it's just yeah, another step in the right direction that's, that's been long overdue. 100% and we can't wait as I'm sure you guys can't to see how this one unfolds we'll keep you up to date of course across the training ground developments on chroniclelive.co.uk as well as everything else to do with Newcastle United so thank you very much for joining us on the Everything is Black and White podcast please remember to like and follow the podcast totally free to do just means with every new episode we upload you will get a notification to say it's ready to download or listen to and please leave us a rating and review if you get the chance just allows us to get the episodes out to a wider audience. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week.